today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Well, school may be out tomorrow, at least uh, high school anyway. Uh, the uh, That's the day, obviously, the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation has uh, chosen for a uh, one-day, uh, well, strike, uh, use whatever terminology you want. The fact of the matter is, is if uh, the teachers don't show up for work, uh, the school's probably going to be closed down. But they're not the only board, or the only association, rather, that's in this situation. Uh, the Elementary School Teachers Federation is is along that path as well. The uh, elementary and Catholic high schools uh, uh, teachers are also... Uh, in that position. They're in various forms right now of contract negotiations that are not going well, and so are the French teachers for that matter, too. Uh, Harvey Bischoff is the president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. He joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to give us an update on what might be happening. Harvey, thanks for the time on a busy day. I, uh, I'd like to think you're sitting there waiting for the phone to ring from the education minister. We're, you know, we're actually in the hotel. Okay. Um, it's a day scheduled for bargaining, and we are ready to bargain at any time. I actually wish, wish the minister himself uh, would reach out. Of course, uh, he hasn't, but I would take that call in an instant. Absolutely. Uh, except, uh, just looking on social media, there's still an awful lot of, uh, of, of political bombast that seems to be going on here, and I don't know if that's uh, having an impact on the negotiations at all. You know, I've been very, very disappointed by the uh, minister's efforts to to ratchet up um, the temperature on this, to create anxiety for for parents and and students. It's unproductive at this time. Um, every you know, uh, uh, kind of level cal- level headed, calm approach would be a lot more helpful. But the minister instead wants to engage in spin um, and and you know, raising the temperature. And, and that's the politics of it, and I find that very frustrating as well. As, as you and I have talked about in the past, I've had the minister on the program a, a few times, and he seems like a very bright individual. He's young, and he's new to the, relatively new to the post, and you figure, okay, he's going to try to make a difference. But, Harvey, you've seen this happen over the years. It doesn't really matter who you put in these positions. Uh, when they get to the bargaining table, they're, they're handed, okay, here's, here are your ten talking points. You stick to that stuff, okay, because that's what we want out of this. And it's, it's not really productive, and it lead, well, leads to situations like we're in today. It's true, and, and I think what's happening to this minister is he's trying to sell the Ford education agenda, and frankly, nobody's buying it. And so, therefore, instead of being able to tell the truth, he has to engage in spin. And how do we know nobody's buying it? Well, uh, on the weekend, we found out unequivocally that parents, according to the government's own consultation that they tried desperately to hide, um, parents don't support bigger class sizes. They don't support mandatory e-learning. And so while the minister has been running around claiming he listens to parents, his own consultation told him the exact opposite of what they're doing. And frankly, we have polling that, that aligns entirely with the ministry consultation. The Ontario Public School Boards Association has polling that shows exactly the same thing. So here you have a guy trying to sell a, you know, it's, it's a product that, that nobody's interested in, and therefore uh, he's engaged in this spin and rhetoric. And we talked about this when those announcements were made, and that's almost a year ago now. And uh, uh, the accusation that I heard back from an awful lot of people that were supportive of what Ford was doing was, oh, they, this is abstract. That's what if. Maybe this is going to happen. Well, since this school year has started, uh, parents and teachers and, and people that are educators in this province have got firsthand knowledge about how this is going to impact the system, and they're not pleased with it, and they're not impressed with it. Well, we've already seen, you know, so last year average class sizes were 22. This year the government unilaterally raised them to 22 and a half, and what's been the result? Kids in classes, in individual classes of 40 and more, because that 22 and a half is an average. Um, kids who can't get access to the credits that they need even to graduate, because when you raise the average class size, it means laying off teaching positions. Um, and uh, and so, so 
from this stage, the minister wants to raise the class size further yet to 25 to 1. Imagine um, with this small increase, uh, you've seen the damage already done, and he wants to go much, much further. Um, imagine how bad things would be in a few years if we allow that to happen. Well, and we've seen some other incidents, too. And We talked with the chair of the Hamilton board here, and, and I know you've had these discussions with some of your, your members as well about how this is impacting. Uh, and and one of the things that I, I've always, and I talked about this on my, my commentary this morning, uh, the focus here when we talk about a more efficient system, I was under the impression a more efficient system meant a system that better equips students for the future and, and for post-secondary education. Uh, their idea of an efficient system seems to be a less expensive, cheaper system. And, and th- th- those... Those, those two goals here, and I understand, look, at we just can't keep throwing money at problems, Harvey, but the reality here is that if you put that as a priority above a, a system that's going to be better for students, I, as, a, as a taxpayer, i got a problem with that. Well, investing in, the, in, the, in education um, is different from throwing money at a problem, right? So when you put money into education, it, there's a return on investment, uh, both for individuals and for the broader economy. Um, and, you know, you and I have, uh, we've talked before that, that uh, over the last 16 years, uh, graduation rates were raised by 20%. One out of five more students prepared to go into post-secondary or take on a skilled trades apprenticeship. So that's a real improvement. That's good for kids. It's good for Ontario's economy. Overnight, the results of the PISA testing, this is an international assessment of students, um, came out and they show that Ontario ranks extremely well based on on um, data that was collected before the Ford government was elected uh, the, Ontario does extremely well in terms of reading um, math science and we stack up uh, remarkably well against the whole, the rest of the world um, that's what allows Ontario to be internationally competitive in business um, you know and that's that's the basis on which we should be going forward not on the basis of short-term uh, cuts, uh, short-sighted cuts, I would say. There seems to be, and, and let's put this on the table, because I don't think anybody on the government side wants to do this, but I'm, I'm just, as an observer, want to bring this up. One, of course, is, is quality of education. And, and I, I feel, and, and I've gone on record as saying this, that I think that the government's uh, first priority here is just to save money. And they'll do that with health care, they'll do that with education, they'll do that with anything, just to lower their bottom line. That seems to be a priority. The other one that seems to be at play here is that there is a propensity with this government, Harvey, to simply blow up anything that the previous government did without even a back plan, a backup plan and just kind of cobble something together. But they do that cobbling without consultation with the stakeholders, whether it's health care, education, uh, autism, anything else like this. And that's what gets them into these, these, these scenarios where their backs are against the wall, really. This is, I mean, the autism program is one of the one of the most stark examples of that. They they took a program that had been crafted over some years, recrafted in order to try to meet the needs of kids, um, uh, you know, uh, with autism. They came in, they blew it up. They they what they said about what they were doing, you know, turned out to be absolutely not the truth. And a whole lot of kids and parents suffered because of uh, a ham-fisted approach to doing government policy. We can't afford that kind of approach. You know, it's what they're doing with with e-learning. There's no evidence whatsoever to demonstrate that mandatory e-learning is good for students. The minister points to Alabama as his model, which ranks 49th out of 50 uh, in American education quality. And clearly, the only explanation for pursuing mandatory e-learning with class sizes of 35 students is to reduce the cost in the education system. It certainly doesn't improve quality. 
Yeah, for this, of course, from the premier that said not one person was going to lose their job because of these uh, these new policies they put in place. I, I know that ship has sailed, and I know some people simply dismiss that and say, well, all politicians exaggerate. Uh, that matters when you say something like that, when you make a bold statement like that. And, and on the other side of the uh, of the, the ledger, of course, you see the, the, the people that have been laid off. And, and, and I'm concerned because I've heard from parents, Harvey, I mean— <laughs> You know, we our, our kids are long past high school age. I mean, but the ones that are still there are worried now about what's going to happen uh, with graduation, what's going to happen with their entry into post-secondary edu- ed- institutions right now, because some of the courses that they th- are told they need to have be- to be able to qualify for those post-secondary courses may not be available to them. Absolutely, and, and they're still talking about raising the average class size uh, from here by, by uh, you know, a significant percentage. And, you know, not only did the Premier claim that there would be no layoffs, and that turned out not to be true, nobody once during the campaign, no, no Conservative during the campaign said that they were going to pursue mandatory e-learning, bigger class sizes, uh, the elimination of support staff positions who work with our, you know, uh, caring professionals who work with our high-needs and at-risk students, there was not one word of that during the campaign, and now they're pursuing it uh, truly without a mandate. Let's let's talk about public perception here, and and you know, I, and again, I know people don't like to go back to the Harris days and the confrontations that happened back in those days, but b- for the, the good or evil, it seemed as if there was a lot of support. First of all, Harris had a very high public approval rating uh, in the province when he started to to basically go to war with the teachers' unions and. Uh, uh, so there was some public support for that. I, I don't necessarily see that happening in this situation because I'm talking to a number of parents, Harvey, whose whose children are being impacted by this, and they're saying, "Look at this is it." And you just referenced the study that the government did themselves uh, that they're reticent to hold you know the results and and make those public. But the fact of the matter is, is the public I think is more aware now of the education system and the impact that changes like this are going to have. And they're not simply going to buy, a, I think, a philosophical uh, bent on this right now. They want something that's going to help their kids. I think that's exactly right. So, you know, the Harris government was mean-spirited, but they were they were more clever in the way they, they uh, went after the education system. They spent months demonizing uh, educators and so forth before before they started their cuts. This ham-fisted government went after the very things that parents and students care about the most, you know, a quality of education environment, uh, which is related so much to to having reasonable class sizes and students having access to the professional attention they need to succeed. Um, it, you know, having having the number of educators, support staff, and teachers in the system, this, this government went right after those things, uh, and therefore parents have reacted. And I've never seen a time... Um, when parents have been so, and, and the general public, I would say, so clearly aware of the destructive path that a government is going down uh, with regard to education and so clearly opposed to it. I want you to address a couple of the talking points that I've seen uh, that have been prevalent on those who take the government's side and, and, and are, are, well, not enamored with the teachers right now. And you've heard these over the years here. Are, you know, when you look at these, you know, greedy teachers, you know, this is all about them. They just want more money. It's, it's just, you know, these guys, as, as one email from a couple of days ago to me, uh, it was one of them said, look, these guys all make 150000 bucks a year and they get the summers off. What's the big deal? You know, what are they complaining about? <laughs> well, they don't make 150000 but but uh, nevertheless, here's, here's some context for that. First of all, 
a teacher over the course of career of their career net of the cost of their education because of course they spend 6 years in university minimum in order to qualify to teach net of the cost of their education career earnings are about the same as a skilled tradesperson earns over the over the course of a career now skilled tradespeople absolutely earn their money um but I believe my members do as well. And then you look at what we're proposing. We're saying after seven years of falling behind inflation year after year, so in real terms, having less money in their pockets uh, each year, we're proposing a cost-of-living adjustment. We're saying my members deserve to keep up with inflation. We're not even proposing a catch-up. We're saying that from here on in, their, their uh, increases should be pegged to the cost of living, uh, to, you know, a consumer price index, um, and so that just so that next year, in real terms, they're they're earning what they earn this year. In July, the provincial government, which sets the uh, the allowable rent increases that uh, that landlords can charge, gave landlords the ability to raise rent by 2.2 percent. They said that was uh, equal to the cost of living. I, I understand uh, that thinking, but why should it apply to one segment and not to my members? Well, because they've made a blanket statement that said that anybody in public sector, and that includes obviously teachers, uh, you're only going to get a 1% raise, which, as you say, is is nowhere near the cost of living increase. That's right. And 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 so once again, you know, you have a minister who runs around talking to uh, talking, uh, claiming that they're engaged in good faith bargaining while they're legislating uh, part of the part of the the bargaining, what should be a bargaining outcome. So there's no good faith when you unilaterally impose cuts on the number of support staff and teachers, when you unilaterally impose mandatory e-learning, uh, and when you legislatively interfere with the free collective bargaining process to pretend that's, that's good faith bargaining is, well, bad faith, I guess. Well, it's, it's playing with numbers that really frustrates an awful lot of people, and that's part of the feedback I'm getting here. Uh, you know, when, when they were elected, they ballooned the, the, the size of the deficit and, and said it's way bigger than the, the, the Wynn government ever said it was. And they used that as a justification for some of these draconian moves that they're doing. Well, the Auditor General has already spoken up and said that's, that's BS. It, it, the, the deficit's nowhere near as big as that. Yet they continue along this path. They've had to walk back the autism. They've had to walk back some of their health care proposals. Uh, but they seem to have drawn a line in the sand here. And and. I don't know to what end because, I mean, I, I don't see anybody budging here and I don't see parents uh, starting to, to feel as if maybe the government's doing the right thing. I don't see how these guys have any credibility left when it comes to talking about numbers. At one time, they claimed it would be about 3,500 teaching positions lost. The Financial Accountability Office turned around and said, no, the number is 10,000 teaching positions lost. As you said, there were those deficit figures they talked about, and now the minister is running around claiming that we're, that, that my union is looking for a $1.5 billion compensation increase. Um, he's, he's not even in the right order of magnitude, um, but, you know, by now people should be aware that, uh, that they simply have no credibility with any numbers that they point to. Where's this going to go? I mean, let's assume nothing's going to happen. I hope it does today. I hope there's, there's some sort of a, an agreement that maybe this, this thing can be rectified. But if we go forward with this tomorrow, we've already reported last week that there's already some talk that there could be another one of these days sometime next week and maybe another one even before Christmas. Uh, but you've got your companion unions, the elementary teachers and the Catholic teachers, high school and elementary, and the French teachers that are all going down the same road here. Uh, the worst-case scenario could be catastrophic here. 
you know, the worst case scenario is that the government gets to impose all of these these draconian cuts on the education system and our kids suffer for years and years to come uh, and our economy suffers because we don't have the same kind of high quality graduates that we're currently able to, to turn out who, who compete um, in the international world. Uh, and uh, and so that would be that would be the worst possible outcome. But it is absolutely the case. Well, you know, the minister, he wants to point at my union and say we're somehow outliers. Uh, Fact is, he has not been able to make a deal with my union, the elementary teachers, the Catholic teachers, the Francophone teachers, and all of the other unions that represent education workers in this province. So there is a common denominator in this equation, but it's the minister. Well, uh, here's hoping the phone rings, and here's hoping that there can be uh, some honest dialogue here. Like I say, just let's get rid of the bombast, and let's have the common goal of trying to make a better education system. Not necessarily a less expensive one, but a more efficient one for the students and for everybody involved. And that's got to start at the ministry. I mean, the ball's in their court right now, I would think. We're at the hotel and ready to talk, Bill, and I hope that we, you know, something productive arises today, and, and if it does, we will be all over it and try to pursue it to a, to a successful conclusion. We'll be watching, too. Harvey, thanks as always for this. Appreciate the time today. My pleasure. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Harvey Bischoff, who was the president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, and, and we've talked with Earl Manners from the Elementary School Teachers Federation and, and, and the Catholic boards as well, or the Catholic associations as well. Uh, and it's problematic. And, you know, I mean, I, I understand the government's idea to hold the line, so you're only going to get a 1% increase if there's going to be any salary increase at all. And uh, and that's, okay, that's playing hardball, I guess, to try to do this. But, I mean, this is the same government that turned around just a couple of weeks ago and gave uh, legislative assistance, parliamentary assistance, a 14% raise at Queen's Park. So, you know, this is this do as I say, not what I do is is somewhat problematic. And I guess it's got a lot of people saying, hey, why is there a double standard here? Anyway, uh, at the 11th hour, they seem to, to put an agreement together with the, the support workers in the education system, and it was literally at the 11th hour. He was hoping they can find some sort of middle ground uh, with those negotiations today, and we'll let you know as soon as that happens, if it happens. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.